0: This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2. The book of Acts, chapter 2. Uh, if you're new, we're teaching through the book of Acts, and we're into the end of the second chapter, uh, but you, ha- so you haven't missed much. and Well, actually, you've missed a lot in terms of what's happened, uh, but uh, you haven't missed much. You're not behind. And uh, today, we're going to look at this really rich passage of Scripture that describes the the life of the church and what a church is supposed to be about. So if you're new, uh, this will serve, hopefully, to um, help you study what the Bible says Uh, about what a church is to be, and that will help inform uh, all of us and uh, lift our uh, expectations for what God wants to do. But before we jump in here, let me pray. Father, we thank you for today and an opportunity to study your word. We thank you that it's alive, because you are alive and you have poured out your spirit upon us so that we can have ears to hear what you're saying. And so we pray today that your Holy Spirit would speak to everyone in the room that you would open our minds and that you would uh, elevate our vision of you and of your church and of your purposes through your church, your people. So we come to you today and we say, Lord, we need a word from you. We need to hear from you. Lord, we don't need a lecture. Uh, We don't need an academic exercise. Uh, We don't need an interesting talk. We need to encounter you. And so we pray that You would speak to us and that You would change us today in Jesus' name. Amen. I have never um, in my life heard someone say something like this. I've never heard anyone say this. I am striving with all of my energy. I am pressing. I am sacrificing. I am giving my everything for mediocrity. I've never heard anybody say, I am climbing the mountain. I am sweating. I am burning the midnight oil. I am reaching and stretching and aching to reach the peak of average. I've never heard anybody say that until this last week, and I heard it from our beloved Dallas Mavericks. I don't know if you're following, you do not have to be a sports fan at all, but here's what the Dallas Mavericks did, and it is, I mean, there's always stuff to be ashamed about the Cowboys, but for the Dallas Mavericks won the championship a couple years ago, and so this is dreadful. This last week, the players announced that as a band of brothers and as a team, that they would cease shaving until they reached a goal together as a team. They would cease shaving. They would swear off the razor. They would be a scraggly team. They would make a statement. They would announce to everybody that they meant business by having a team of bearded basketball brothers. Now, what was the goal that they would not shave until they reached what goal? Was it a championship? No, it was not a championship. Was it to make it to the finals? We will not shave until we're in the finals. No. Was it to make the playoffs? Look, every, in the NBA, everybody and their mom makes the playoffs. <laughs> Literally, there are people's moms in the playoffs in the NBA. <laughs> was this high and lofty goal, we will not shave, uh, shave until we make the playoffs? Oh, I wish I could tell you that's what it was. That's not what it was. Here's the goal. We will not shave. Now, what you need to know about the Mavericks is they have lost considerably more games than they have won. We will not shave until we win enough games that we have won as many games as we have lost. Until we reach 500 is what they said. So they're called, this is shameful. They're called 500 beards. They're not called playoff beards, championship beards. We are down in the hole. So until we reach ground level, we will not shave. We are making a statement. Listen, the epitome of average is 500. If you have won as many as you lost, you are by definition mediocre. That is a C. That you're by definition a C. You're not failing, but you're not an A. You're average. And so they have set their aspirations so embarrassingly low that they're just saying, once we reach average, we will have accomplished greatness. And when I heard that, I just thought, this is the worst thing I've ever heard in sports in terms of a motivational exercise. But I thought, you know what, it's very similar to how we can view the church, what our aspirations are. For the church are, because I think many of us have, well, embarrassingly low aspirations for the church. I think many of us have very low expectations of what God could do through the church. I think many of us have a goal that's achievable and manageable in our own human strength. I think many of us have a doable expectation for the church. And so we think, well, You know, if we attend a service and there's a pretty pleasant, uplifting sermon, that's good. Have a few friends in the church, shake a few hands. It's flu season, so give a fist fist bump instead of a handshake. But greet a few people, have a few friends, that's great. Have a nice children's ministry, wonderful. And we'll see you back here next week to do it again for 90 minutes. That is very manageable, very doable. A non-Christian can pull that off, by the way. Anybody can achieve that. But when we look at the vision and the lofty expectations for the role of the church in the book of Acts, it's not average, it's breathtaking. It's actually more than breathtaking, it's impossible. It's impossible to accomplish in human strength. It's impossible to accomplish by getting everybody to buy in, getting everybody to take ownership, getting everybody to work hard. It's it's impossible to accomplish by human effort. It's only accomplished by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And that's a vision we want. We want a vision that says, this is impossible unless God shows up and makes it happen. That's what I want to be a part of. That's what you want to be a part of. We want to be a part of something that's characterized by this language in the New Testament. Surely God is in this place. It's not nice. It's not doable. It's not achievable. It's not pretty good. It's God is in the house. God is among the people. The living God is doing something. Even when it's challenging, even when it's difficult, this book has been fantastic. The, the, for two chapters, it's been glorious. Come back next week. If trouble begins in chapter 3. And throughout the rest of the book, it will be glory and trouble. And it will be glory in the midst of trouble. So I'm not saying that we have a vision of paradise on earth. I'm saying we have a vision of the Holy Spirit working no matter what our circumstances are. That He is present. And that He is with us. And so here is the vision laid out of the early church. This was their experience. And it is not a 500 beard. It is glorious. Here it is. Verse 42 of chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's a high vision of what a church could be, what, what could happen among a group of people when God grabs their heart and does something in them. See, what has happened before this, what set this up, and what we must read this in the context of is that God has just historically poured out his presence on his church. His presence is the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts, we find at the beginning, Jesus is present. He's resurrected, he's alive, and he's teaching his disciples following his resurrection. Then he says, I'm going to make you my witnesses. You're going to go out and tell what you've seen and experienced in me. And then he vanishes. He goes up into the air. It's called the Ascension. He disappears uh, into heaven. He's, He's seated at the right hand of his father. And then they just start praying. And what happens is they're at this festival called Pentecost and the presence of God falls upon them in a powerful way. And miraculous things happen, and a big crowd draws together to say, what is going on here? And Peter, one of the disciples who was previously very timid when Jesus was arrested and killed, is now bold as a lion, and he stands up and he proclaims, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus died for sins and rose to life again and you can have new life if you believe in Jesus. If you turn from your sins, if you believe that Jesus is the one who died for our sins and was resurrected for us, then all your sins will be forgiven, Peter says, and uh, the, the Spirit will come live in you. So God will himself dwell in you. That's what will happen if you believe. At that moment, 3,000 people say, I'm in, and they get baptized then what we just read is this is what happens to those 3,000 people. Once the Spirit comes down, then they join together as a people. See, what happened is they didn't just have an individual experience. They didn't just meet Jesus. It wasn't just me and Jesus, as John shared in his announcement up here earlier. It wasn't just my life has changed. They were joined to a community. They were built into a people. God's purpose wasn't just to change individual lives. God's purpose was to build a community of life together. They don't just have an individual experience. They become the church, the family, the... the. Um uh, the community of god 's people and here 's what we learn when we read what we just read and it 's tied to the pouring out of the holy spirit here 's what we learn that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live out our new life in his new community. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live out our new life in his new community in his community of faith and that 's what we see happening here. The apostles in the first chapter were told they 're told their witnesses that they 're going to go. And preach the gospel. But here's what we're going to see in Acts. They don't just go and tell. They don't just go and tell and lead people to Christ. They go and tell and lead people to Christ and gather them together. They go and gather. That's the goal. It's to go and preach the gospel and gather people who then, as new people, can grow together, mature together, live life together, and share Christ's mission together to reach other people. And this is a vision that can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit. That's what we get out of Acts, the first two chapters of Acts. If they mean anything, it's this, that only the Holy Spirit can accomplish God's work to lead people to new new life and then to build them together in a community as a church. And so we want to pray for God to work supernaturally in us and through us, that we would experience what they experience here. Look, look what they experienced for verse 42. after well, Let's look at verse 41. Those who had received his word, this is on Pentecost Sunday, or Pentecost, um, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread And the prayers. Here's what happens when somebody gets their sins forgiven by Christ and receives new life. They become devoted. Here's what happens when the Holy Spirit invades a person. They become devoted. That's what is described of them. The word devoted means to occupy oneself diligently with something, to occupy oneself diligently, to pay persistent attention to, to hold fast to something. To continually be into something. And so that's what they do. They hold fast to the apostles' teaching. That's what they do. They pay persistent attention to the fellowship. They hold fast to the breaking of bread. They occupy themselves diligently with the prayers. They're devoted. I just read a quote this morning. And uh, this is what the person said. Discipline says, I need to. Duty says, I ought to. Devotion says, I want to. Discipline, I need to. Duty, I ought to. Devotion, I want to. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to the fellowship. They're devoted to the breaking of bread and prayers. The Holy Spirit gives them an I want to. You ever heard of a a devoted husband? A devoted husband will not celebrate, or a devoted boyfriend will not celebrate Valentine's Day coming up with his girl because I need to. It's a discipline. At least if that's the case, don't mention it. The evening's not going to go well, <laughs> I assure you. Devoted husband doesn't celebrate Valentine's because it's a duty I ought to. A devoted husband does so because I want to. It's in my heart. And so that's what happens with the church. These people have been changed, and in their hearts, they are now a part of what God is doing. That That is something that we can't create. You can't market that and get everybody on board. You can't do that. You, 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 can, you can preach duty and law and make everybody think God's going to be really mad at you if you don't, and so everybody says, well, I guess I ought to. You can preach human effort And you can preach, you know, self-sufficient discipline, so everybody says, I need to do that. But only the Holy Spirit can turn a heart and give a pure heart of discipline and give a pure heart of delight in duty and give a pure heart of devotion that says, I want to. I want to. What did they devote themselves to? Well, the first thing was to the apostles teaching. First thing is they were a learning community. A learning community. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The Holy Spirit created a hunger in them to know God, and so they were devoted to knowing Him through His teaching. So, what was happening here? Well, the the passage tells us if you look down in verse 46, the passage tells us day by day they were attending the temple together. So, presumably, they were meeting daily at the temple, and the apostles were teaching them. So you got these 3,000 new people, so they're coming together, the apostles are teaching them. What were they teaching them? Well, it doesn't tell us here exactly, but if we look at Peter's sermon that precedes this, we, we probably can imagine that what they're teaching them is the gospel, the good news. They're probably, they don't have a New Testament. They have the Hebrew Bible, which we'd call the Old Testament, so they're probably teaching through the Old Testament and showing how it pointed to Jesus. They're probably teaching through what difference it makes, to believe in Jesus, they're probably teaching all the stuff they heard Jesus teach. Now here's how we know that, because two of the guys, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, two of the guys, after this right, Well, they write bestsellers. They write Gospels. Two of the guys, John and Matthew, write a whole book about what Jesus did. So perhaps their live teaching is the basis for what they record as the gospel. So they're teaching about the person of Jesus. They're teaching about who He is and what He has done and what difference that He makes. So from the very beginning, the church is oriented around knowing God and the way you know God is through the Scripture. So the apostles' teaching is what you have in your lap this morning, or what you have on your, on your screen of your smartphone this morning. I hold this up and say, well, I man, that's like a relic. A, a printed Bible is a relic. Everybody's reading it on their smartphone, but uh, their iPad or whatever. But you, you, it's what you have in your lap this morning. That is the apostles' teaching. So the church is built around knowing God, and the way they know God is to know His Word. And they are devoted, plural. They devote themselves. They're gathering daily in the temple with everybody, and they're gathering in house to house. This is a community experience. So I'm all for, 100% for, private Bible study. Do it regularly. I'm all for devotions. Do it regularly. I am all for downloading podcasts of sermons and listening to people preach the Bible. I do that. I'm all for reading books that help us understand the Bible better. I, I, I have those books and read those books. I'm all for commentaries, which explain the Scripture. Got a got a wall full of them in my office. I'm all for personal study. But please note that the Holy Spirit doesn't come and collect a group of individuals into a private learning center where they go and sort of, as a consumer, get a dose of truth into their life so that they can go off and it just sort of practically helps them individually as a person. It's not a motivational symbol. Where you go to an arena with a bunch of people you'll never see again in your life, and you're there just to hear some guy tell you how to unleash the giant within and how everything's gonna be great in your life. And so you just go to this motivational seminar, and that's it. This is a community where everybody's learning together and where everybody's applying together. They're sitting under the apostles' teaching, but they're in this together. They're devoted, they're a part of something. It's not a learning center, it's a community. It's not a teaching environment, it's a family. It's not a lecture series, it's a church. That's what's so glorious. They're devoted to themselves together to the apostles' teaching. They are a community of disciples growing together. Yes, a disciple is an individual follower of Jesus. Yes, a disciple is a learner of Jesus. And we're called to be individual disciples. Yes. But we walk out our discipleship in a community of disciples. And that's called the church. So they're learning together. God's Word is our first priority. Well, I thought God was our first priority. Yes, but how do you know God? The, the Scripture teaches us of God. You can't know God personally. You can know Him through creation, but you can't know His redemption and what He's done in Jesus personally, except for the Scripture. Isn't the Gospel our first priority? Absolutely. But where do we learn the Gospel? It's not a feeling or an idea or some concept somebody has. We learn it from the Scripture. So God's revealed himself by his spirit through a book, the book of the scripture. And so we want to be devoted to learning the scripture and continuing. It's interesting that in verse 41, they are added 3,000 souls to the church. They become Christians. They become followers of Jesus. They become disciples. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said this, you are truly my disciples if you prayed a prayer on the day of Pentecost. If you got baptized on the day of Pentecost, no, you are truly my disciples if you continue in my word. That's what he says. The mark of a learner, of a genuine disciple, is that they are continuing in the Word of God. So we want to do that individually. We want to do that privately. If you don't know how to do that, um, see one of us, one of the leaders. We'd be glad to help you, give you some resources. If you're in a community group, ask your leader or someone in the group who seems mature. If you're brand new, ask someone that seems like they know something around here. Uh, We will do whatever we can to help you learn. How to begin to read the Bible for yourself. So they are a learning community, and they learn together. Secondly, they are a sharing community. Look what he says next. They are devoted to the fellowship. Now I'm going to look at this and I'll look at several other verses in this passage we read uh, because I think the fellowship is is spelled out. The details of that are spelled out in the passage here. Fellowship means to share in something. It comes from a word we don't toss around a lot of Greek words around here, but this one you probably or may have heard of. It's the word koinonia and that's what it's talking about their fellowship. So they are it is a sharing in something. It is a sharing in, in the New Testament sense, it's a sharing in someone that's beyond us. So we're we're sharing something that goes beyond the relationship. So if for you and me to have fellowship together, it's not just that we're friends or that we both like the same sports team or that we both work in the same place. But we are sharing in something together. What we have in common is Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. So as we share in that common life, we have a fellowship, a joining, a community together. matter of fact, the word can be translated community and sometimes is. So they're they're devoted to the sharing community of sharing their life together in Jesus. In other words, all these people gather at Pentecost, and now they've become followers of Christ, and they have a new common denominator. The new common denominator is Jesus. It's really rare that I use a math metaphor, so mark that one down. I said common denominator. I don't remember what that means, but uh, it sure sounded good. Here's the thing about the church. The church is a diverse group of people. The goal of the church is not to get everybody in the same room where they all have the same preferences. We all have the same background. We all have the same socioeconomic status. We're all of the same gender. We're all of the same age or generation. We're all of the same race. That is not the church. <clears throat> the church is not segregated by any, those, by any of those things. It's not to be segregated by preference, by music style, by age. It's not that. The church is a diverse group of people that are joined together around Jesus Christ. That's the fellowship. So we come together, we build one another up because we have Christ in common. Fellowship means common. It means community. It means something we share in. In this case, someone we share in. So we're sharing in Christ together, and the gospel is on display there. If we all have the same preferences, the same likes, the same background, the same interests, we all look the same, about the same interests, all do the same thing, same age, smell the same, talk the same, use the same lingo, all of this kind of stuff, that that is not a fellowship that proclaims the glorious grace of God. That's a click. But we're going to be a people who, by diversity, join together around Jesus and share our lives together. These people, devotion to the fellowship, had some practical implications. Look at verse 44. All who believed were together. Now, in chapter 1, we talked about being in one accord and said that didn't have to necessarily mean you were in the same spot. But here it does. I think the word together means physically together. All the believers were together, and they had all things in common And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they're joined together. And part of their fellowship means, because we're united in Christ, I want to love you and provide for your needs. This was not an early form of communism. Uh, They maintained personal ownership. Because, didn't say they divested themselves of everything they had and put it in a common purse. That they, they sold things as needed to help others. We're gonna see that in a few chapters later. Someone's gonna sell a field and donate the proceeds to the church. So, they didn't, they didn't give up all property rights necessarily, but what they did was they said, whatever I have is God's ultimately, and if He wants me to use that to help others, I will do it. So they met one another's physical needs. That's being devoted to the fellowship. We're devoted to one another. We're devoted to the people in Christ, and that's costly sometimes. They're not consumers. They're givers. They're not takers. They're givers. They're investing. The Holy Spirit has changed them. They're devoted to one another. And so all of a sudden, what I was hoarding now becomes a means for me to express my love and care for you because you've got a need that I could meet. So that's what happens. This is, again, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. They're changed people. Look what else it says in, uh, in the next verse. They, they were attending the uh, temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and sincere hearts. So they are share, or generous hearts. The old version I use says sincere, but this is GSV is generous. So they're, they're in one another's homes. So they're taking their private space and they're inviting people to come into their private space because we're in this fellowship together. This sharing community, I think the same thing, I, I'm kind of combining, if you look at verse 42, the fellowship and the breaking of bread. I, I, they both have to do with sharing. So they're breaking bread. What does breaking bread mean? And what does it, what does it mean, verse 42? And then what does it mean down in verse 46? Well, in verse 46, breaking bread in their homes... And receiving food with glad and generous hearts. I, I think that clearly means they're having meals together. They're having people over for dinner, is what that means. They're extending hospitality to one another. So, in verse 42, does it mean that as well? Or does it mean communion, the Lord's Supper? Um, from what I've read, typically there was kind of a ceremony, a, a Jewish ceremony, that if you had others in your home for dinner, that you would, the, the, the head of the household would start the meal by breaking the bread. Uh, and passing it around. So it does uh, envision a communal meal, you know, people together. Does it mean the Lord's Supper in verse 42? Well, most of the commentators I read who know way more than I do think it is just sharing a meal and not necessarily communion. But communion could apply here because it appears the way the early church received the Lord's Supper. uh, We see this in the book of First Corinthians was they did it around a shared meal. So it's really not two distinct things like for us. It usually is. And maybe we need to look into that. But for us, it usually is. We're having you over for dinner. We could call that breaking bread. Uh, we're having communion together, that's something we do in this worship service, that's very different. But for the early church, they would share a meal together, breaking bread, and then break the bread, perhaps, which is the body of the Lord, and receive the Lord's Supper together. So it could mean both. In their context, it probably did. But hospitality, sharing your time, sharing your food, sharing company, with whom? People who are just like me in every way. No, actually people that are in the fellowship that are different than you, but you have Jesus in common. This only works by the Holy Spirit. It does not work. There's no plan. There's no five-year plan. There's no strategy. We don't have a new teaching uh, plan that's going to make this happen. It really has to be the Spirit working in our hearts, and it's the, it's the effect of what you see in the early church. So what is this early church like after they're converted, after the Holy Spirit fills them, what are they like? They're devoted to Scripture, the Apostles' teaching. They're a learning community. They're devoted to the fellowship and to sharing what they have and to having generous and glad hearts, laughing over the dinner table with people. Laughing over the dinner table with people. That is, laughing at a restaurant. Going out to a restaurant and just uh, eating together and being together. That's what's going on here. They're paying constant attention. They want to. That's devoted. Want to. Constant attention. That's what they're doing. The fellowship. Shared life. Shared life. Here's what the Spirit compels us to do. When we share our things, when we share our time, when we share our generous hearts around the table, when we're devoted to the fellowship, here's what the Holy Spirit does. It compels us to love others. The Holy Spirit compels us to, to look outside of ourselves. Here's what, the, here's what the natural heart says. What's in it for me? Here's what the Holy Spirit-filled heart says. What's in it for you? So when I think about, here's a real expression of community in our church. One of the expressions of community in our church is our community groups. And I've shared before, I'm a part of a great community group, love it. But sometimes Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, I'm tired. I'm wasted. My mind's not into it. And I'm thinking, wow, I've got to go to community group tonight. Now, if I'm thinking, how do I feel and what am I going to get out of it? That's exactly what my attitude will be. I'm not sure. There's other options. But if my attitude is, I wonder if somebody at community group is going to have a burden that I could carry. I wonder if somebody in community group is going to have a need tonight that the Lord could use me to meet. I wonder if there's someone at community group that's discouraged tonight that maybe I could pray for them and encourage them. I wonder if there's someone at community group tonight that just needs someone to listen to them and care for them. So if everybody in the group had the same attitude I have right now, they'd show up to community group by themselves with no one to listen to them because everyone's saying, what's in it for me, not what's in it for you. Devotion to the fellowship, the Holy Spirit turns us outward, so we constantly want to be asking by the power of the Spirit, what's in, what's in it for you? 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 Have you over for dinner? What's in it for you? Get together and talk about Christ. What's in it for you? That's the orientation of the heart that's been turned upside down by the good news of Jesus. And that's why, that's why this is a lofty goal. It's a, that's why this is an impossible goal. This isn't church average that's going on here. This isn't church mediocre. Is, we're not going to grow our beards out and accomplish this one. This one's amazing. What's in it for others? That's that's devotion to the fellowship. They're also a worshiping community. They're devoted to the fellowship, the breaking of bread. They're devoted to the prayers, verse 42, the prayers. Now, I'm I'm going to talk about a worshiping community because I'm going to combine two statements in this passage that, that speak about their Godward orientation. First of all, they are devoted to the prayers. When the Holy Spirit builds a people together, he'll always build them together in prayer. Why? Because prayer is fundamentally a recognition of our need for God. When I see how much I need God, I pray. When I'm in trouble, I pray. When I'm desperate, I pray. And so prayer is a reflection of a people who see their need for God. And the church begins chapter 1 in prayer. Chapter 2, it's launched in a prayer meeting. That's where the church is birthed, through a prayer meeting. So people are praying together, and God shows up, and then everything changes. And now all these people are now Christians, and they're experiencing this together. So it's our recognition of God. It's our humbling ourselves before Him. It's our bringing our needs together and praying so that we are a community devoted to prayer. Now, if you look at verse 46, it says, Day by day they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. So they are not only together in a public context, but they're together in a private context. Now, the Scripture doesn't literally say this, so when I'm speculating, I'll tell you that. Scripture doesn't literally say this, but if they're devoted to the prayers... I don't think it's a stretch to say that's part of what was going on in the homes. We're meeting together in homes on a regular basis, sharing meals. They're probably praying for one another there. They're probably sharing in prayer. They may be pr- I'm sure they're, for sure they're praying in a formal way in the temple courts when they're having teaching and a work like this. For sure they're praying. But if they're living this devoted lifestyle of prayer, this is probably happening in their homes as well. See, the Holy Spirit turns our hearts and changes us so that we want to, while you've got a need, let me bring that to the Lord. I've got a need, let's bring that to the Lord. Let's pray, let's share together. We share in God together, let's pray. And we're going to see a lot of prayer meetings. We're going to see in chapter 4 the most dramatic prayer meeting I've ever heard of. Well, probably chapter 2 is the most dramatic prayer meeting. But number 2 most dramatic prayer meeting I've ever heard is chapter 4. You come back, there's literally an earthquake. The walls are shaking in this prayer. I that is that is wild. I've never been a part of a, a prayer meeting where the walls are shaking like that. Sometimes the most radical thing is someone's stomach growls. I've heard that, but I've never heard the walls shake. I want to be in a prayer meeting where God is, is moving in such a powerful way. Not only are they praying, but they're praising. Look at verse 47. They're praising God and having favor with all the people. They are a worshiping community. So they're gathering in the temple, they're gathering in homes, they're praying, and they're praising. And the praising here isn't just a formal praise and a worship service. It means to recommend, it means to give thanks to, it means to honor. So as they're just going along, they're praising God. This isn't some kind of hokey thing. Praise the Lord. Every time somebody says something, that just sounds stiff and formal and goofy. We're not talking about that. We've all met that religious person, and guess what? Many of us have been that religious person. So it's not just them out there. It's us in here. So we've all been a little hyper-spiritual at points and and, kind of done the praise the Lord thing when we didn't maybe even mean it. But what he's talking about here is that they are praising God. There's a Godward orientation. They're viewing their life in the presence of God. And it's just natural. To pray or to praise is as natural as breathing in and out for, the, for people filled with the Spirit. It's not awkward, it's not strange, it's natural. So we're able to say, God, we praise you for this. Lord, we recognize what you're doing here. God, we thank you that you are with us. God, we declare that you are glorious and wonderful and we ask you to do more. So now we're praying. Would you do more of what you're doing in our midst right now? Would you help us? to be devoted to Your Word. Would You help us to be devoted to the fellowship? Would You help us to be devoted to hospitality? Would You help us to get our grimy hands off our stuff and freely use what we have for the glory of God and the good of others? Lord, would You help us to have glad and generous hearts so that when someone comes over, it's not grumbling and complaining <laughs> until they knock at the door. And then smiling, hey, how's it going? We've just been fighting like animals for the last two hours preparing for you, but come on in. <laughs> glad, not, it's not that. It's glad and generous hearts. Lord, we've got to pray because we need you to do this. We need your power to do this. It says they're all walking around in awe. That doesn't mean going to the church is aw It's not that. It's like, wow, awe, wonder, amazement, I'm amazed. So they're filled with awe. The, 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 The apostles are doing signs and wonders. Now there's one. We can look at that and go, wow, there's no apostles today, in the sense of those who are with Jesus and saw the resurrection. There's certainly people that lead in mission that we could say maybe have like an apostolic function. They, missionaries, they're church planters, they, they go out. So there may be some of those functions happen today, but there's no apostles like that. And so they're doing signs and, and wonders, and everybody is being amazed. And there's some wild signs and wonders we see in this book. People want to get in Peter's shadow because his, they're getting healed in his shadow. Wow. So there's some amazing stuff that's happening. And so we can say, well, yeah, we're not in awe because, uh, you know, nobody's getting healed by a shadow. So we're not seeing the kind of miracles that they saw. I mean, if we did, we'd be in awe. We, we just, you know, all we have is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit filling us, and we are saved. That's the biggest miracle of all. You know, it, I, when people get healed, there's going to be a healing happen in chapter 3. Here's what we need to know. The healing in chapter 3 does not even register compared to chapter 2's conversions. There's no greater wonder, there's no greater sign than someone meeting Christ. So we have signs and wonders that they had there too, which is new life in Christ. And it beats any healing, it beats any physically somebody being raised from the dead. I'm all for praying for healing. We want to pray for healing. We want to believe God to do miraculous things physically in people's lives. Yes, but we want to acknowledge the greatest miracle we have. And that's, I once was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. The fact we're sitting in this room together worshiping Christ, sign and wonder galore. There's no greater miracle than you're here. If you've got a shred of love for Jesus in your heart today, if you've got a shred of love for his people today, then you can say God has miraculously worked on your heart because you didn't come to that on your own. So we may not have all these. Let's pray for miracles. Let's pray for healings. Yes. But absent those dramatic miracles, we still have every reason to be walking around in awe, saying, I cannot believe I'm a part of this. I cannot believe I'm a Christian. I cannot believe God looks at me as his son or his daughter. I cannot believe that God loves me and welcomes me into his presence, welcomes me in his arms, cares for me, meets all of my needs, has forgiven all my sins, lives inside of me. Are you kidding me? How could this even be real? I'm in awe of that. We all have plenty to walk in awe about every day. And so that's, that's what's going on. So we want to pray for that kind of awe. We want to praise God and experience this as a worshiping community. A community filled with the Spirit is filled with God. And a community filled with God will be filled with prayer and praise as naturally as breathing in and breathing out. I picked that up at G2 last night. Jason Kress taught at G2. And I picked up that analogy and sharing it this morning. I was thinking... I. Should credit my source. Got that from a 20-year-old kid last night who preached a great message to the youth um, on that subject. Breathing in and out. That's what we're going to be a part of. Lastly, they're a growing community. A growing community. There's gospel expansion. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. They have favor with the people. So if God's at work, will will we have favor with everyone around us? Come next week. The favor doesn't last for them in in the book of Acts. There are times they have great favor. There are times people are getting killed. So the, the favor of the world, the favor of others is very fickle. But we can rejoice when we do have favor. When God does give us favor of others, we thank him for that, and we're grateful. So they're having favor. That means people want to be a part. They, they, they like, they're interested. Now, in a few chapters, someone is going to die in the worship service because they lied and they get judged, and then it says nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. So when 3,000 are coming, and it's great, and everybody's becoming a Christian, yeah, we're for that. When people are getting killed for their sins in your worship service, falling over dead, people are like, whoa, I don't want any part of that. So the favor thing comes and goes, but it is a gift. We always have favor with God, and we want to celebrate when we do have the favor with people, and we want, to, we want to use that favor as a bridge of relationship with them as well. And here's what's happening. The Lord added to their numbers daily, day by day, those who are being saved. So the Spirit is adding to their numbers. We want to be praying for that, not growing numbers we want to pray for converts, for people that do not know Christ. This is something to pray about. This is something to, to join together with a heart for. And so they're doing that, and, and God is bringing people to, to their midst. People are becoming Christians They are caring for one another. They are serving one another, but they're not inwardly focused. They're not insulated from the culture around them. They're not separatist in some type of way where they're in a holy huddle or in a sect or a clique where they do not interact with anyone else. They're having favor with people, so they have to be interacting with people, and the Lord is adding to their number. It can't be a secret meeting they have here because people know about it and are coming in and being added. So they are connecting with their culture. They are a part of their culture and they are bringing the good news. They're not being enculturated. They're not lost in their culture so they don't represent Christ. They represent Christ in their culture. People are coming to Christ. The gospel is on display. And when you come in, so if you hear about these people and you come in, what do you see? Oh, well, these people are all about the Scripture. The Word of God is alive. These people are all about the fellowship. They're joining together. They're in one another's homes. They're loving one another. That's a, a powerful Example and witness, they're breaking bread. Somebody had me over for dinner. They're praying together. Everybody is awestruck and they're amazed. So when they encountered this band of believers, they encountered the resurrected Christ because the Spirit is working through them as a people. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live out our new life in a new community. And that is what is going on here. And here's what I love about it. They're devoted. They want to. The gospel creates a want to. When we hear that our sins are forgiven and that we are reconciled to the Father, there's a reconciliation, there's a relationship, there is the love of God shed abroad, filling our hearts. There becomes a want to in an increasing way, an increasing want to. And when that want to, love God, love others, love the church, love the lost. When that want to is on display, it is infectious. It's renewal. It's revival. So that's what we want to pray. For Grace Church, a huge, big want to. (laughs) Wanting his word, wanting his presence, wanting his fellowship, wanting to be with one another, wanting to reach the lost, wanting to bear with one another's burdens, wanting to show patience, kindness, grace. And the Lord's adding to them. Want to see new people come. The Lord is adding. Here, here's how I want to close a message like this. I read this passage and I go, this is just overwhelming, all that was happening in this revival context that they experienced. And again, the, road, the road's going to get rough for them. But this, <clears throat> this precious sort of new phase of church life that they experienced is glorious. And I think there's several summaries like this in Acts. And I believe the Lord gives us these summaries to give us a high vision and a high, a high vision, a high desire, a high picture of what he can do when a people abandons themselves to the Spirit and says, has your way under the, under the Scripture. that He gives us these pictures. This is, what, this is what I do. This is what I can do. This is what I will do. This is what we want to pray for him to do. So look at that. I think it's kind of overwhelming, right? How do I get devoted? How do I get consistently focused on, attached to the Word, the fellowship, the prayers, um, praying for miracles, awe, people in my home, leading people to Christ? How do I do all this? Right? I'm I'm just trying to make it. And this is overwhelming. Here's what we do. You just pick one area to take a step in. That's it. Really easy. You read all that and say, Lord, give me one practical application step. If you're here and you're not a Christian, here's your application step that changes eternity. You believe. If you're not a Christian, then don't start praying and coming to church and reading Bible because thinking that'll make you a Christian. I would do all that, but don't think that makes you a Christian. What you need to realize is that Jesus died for your your sins. He was buried. He was raised to new life. And if you believe in him, you'll receive forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive new life. So what you need to do today, what God calls you to do is not a lot of religious activity. He just calls you to look to him and say, I need you to forgive my sins. I believe that you are God, Jesus, and I trust you with my my life, I turn from my sins, I turn from you, to you and I ask you to forgive me. That, that's, that's what you should do today. If you're already a Christian, maybe there's another step. Maybe you're new here. Maybe you're kind of new and you're a new Christian and you're not sure. Here's a step for you. Come back next week. There's a step. Come at one o'clock for the guest luncheon. You know, go out, come back at one. That, that is a step somehow where you can take the next step of entering into something like this. Maybe you say, I want to be devoted to the Word. What does that mean? Well, you could study the book of Acts. You could track with us. We're going to cover all of chapter 3 next week. So you could study chapter 3 this week. You could read the whole book through a few times. You could get a recording of the book of Acts and on your commute every day, listen to a section of Acts. And depending on how long you have to commute, it's about two and a half hours. So... In a five-day week, you could cover the whole book, just listening on your computer. Maybe that's what devotion to the Word means to you. I don't know. You could buy a commentary. I'm sorry we don't have any commentaries out here, but we will on Acts in our bookstore over here. So you could start reading a commentary. You could read the ESV Study Bible a little bit at a time, working your way through Acts, so that you read the whole book and all the notes. Maybe that's what being devoted to the Word would be. How about devoted to the fellowship, sharing life together? You know what? Some of us, you know what that step's going to be? It's going to be re-engaging in our community group. We, we've sort of drifted. Maybe we're not too involved. So you know what that means for you? It's showing up. Somebody says most of life is showing up. Well, in fellowship, like a big part of life is showing up. So maybe that's it. Maybe you're going to re-engage your community group. Maybe you're new here and don't even know what a community group is. Well, you're going to go with John and Kathy and visit their Connect group. So I like to find out what, I, what community group. I never heard of that. You do like community service? I thought that's if you got in trouble. I mean, what, what, is, what, what do you do in the community? So find, find out. They'll help you. He said it's an on-ramp. So maybe you need to get on-ramped into church fellowship and community with the fellowship. Maybe you need to, it was announced this morning, maybe you need to come to the small group leaders conference. Maybe you say, it's on my heart to be a small group leader. I'd like to know more about the small groups, the community groups here. I'd like to take more ownership in my group. I'd like to be a better community group member. Come to the conference. Maybe that's your next step. Devoted to the fellowship, eating meals with a glad heart. Maybe it would be planning to have someone over next Sunday for lunch after church. Maybe it's, that's too much hassle. I understand that. There's a lot going on Sunday, so maybe it's just we're going to invite another friend or another family, and we're going to go out to eat after church. Great. Have your meal with a glad and a sincere heart devoted to the fellowship. Maybe there's something that you have God speaking to you to provide for someone's financial need. God's speaking to you to sell something or to take your surplus and share with someone that does not have. That's what it says here, devoted to the fellowship. So is there one person? So don't do all this. Pick one thing you're going to do. Maybe it's the prayers. Wow, if we've ever had a week where this will preach, it's this week. we got four prayer meetings. So maybe you can take off lunch and come on Tuesday. We'll have a one-hour prayer meeting. You can come for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, the whole hour, 15 minutes, whatever you want to do. Maybe you say, okay, I'm going to pray with my church because these people prayed together. They were desperate. They prayed, and look what God did. You come and pray. You know, one thing I've noticed is that you can open up the city, and you can make that your personal prayer guide for the church. You just open up the city and say, what's happening in my small group? I'm going to pray about that. What's the activities of the week this week in the church? I'm going to pray about that. That's your prayer guide. That's how you can pray for your church or come pray with us. Come to one of the prayer meetings. By the way, if you don't know much about prayer, you know how you learn to pray? By praying with other people that's how you learn so show up and you'll learn how to pray by praying with other people so any of these things prayer, sharing, fellowship, teaching ultimately it's the Holy Spirit and that's where we want to leave here it's the Holy Spirit empowering us to giving us the want to to invest our whole lives not in something manageable, mediocre, man-made. Organization, but a miraculous, divine, supernatural entity, the church. Something we can't accomplish on our own, but something we're desperate to the Lord and say, Lord, make this real. Do this in our midst. In the middle of our stri- struggles, do this. Do this, Lord. We're asking it. So you'll be a part of praying and ask the Lord to lift your heart and lift your expectations and then lift your life. To invest it in what God is doing. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at Frisco dot org.